So turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And today we are asking the question, what makes a disciple? We've used that word disciple. You've probably heard us use the word discipleship. Hopefully if you've been here for any amount of time at Hope Church, you've heard us talk about discipleship. Um, I tell people that there are five things that I love doing as a pastor, my five favorite things to do as a pastor, but number one by a long shot is discipleship. Uh, In fact, preaching is number five. I still enjoy doing it, but if all I got to do the rest of my life was just disciple people and I never got to preach again, I'd be totally fine with it. I I'm so passionate about discipleship. In fact, if you think about uh, churches meeting all over the world, uh, so many churches in persecuted countries, they don't advertise on purpose where they're meeting. Uh, They don't use microphones. They do not want a loud worship team. Uh, In fact, they don't want a worship team. Uh, The church grows in some of the countries where it is growing the fastest, in countries like Iran and China. It grows with groups of no more than one-on-one or no more than four gathering secretly at a time, and yet those are the fastest growing churches. That's how, uh, how important this aspect of discipleship is uh, in seeing our world around us change. Uh, I remember a church that I was um, on staff at, and the pastor was finishing his uh, doctoral dissertation, and he did it on discipleship in the local church. And he was meeting with all of these pastors in the area for a long period of time, Uh, and asking them just a couple basic questions about discipleship. And as he would fill me in on these interviews he was doing, I got to tell you, it was straight depressing. Uh, What the response was from pastors uh, explaining their definition of discipleship or how they go about discipleship in their churches, and it was uh, no wonder why the United States has one of the fastest declining churches in the world. Uh, When I would consult with churches and meet with church leadership teams, Uh, I learned that I didn't have to ask much more than two questions, and that was, how does your leadership team disciple people, and what is your definition of discipleship at the church? How do you see discipleship being carried out? And that would usually tell me just about everything I needed to know about that church and what areas they needed to target on in order to uh, just grow their people. So to me, this is such an important topic. But I want you to picture all of us and we go out to this field back here, and of course there would be no children on this field, and I would give every single one of you a bow and an arrow, and we would line up on the sidewalk and I would say, okay, everybody shoot for the bullseye, and whoever gets the closest wins. So all of us now have a bow and arrow, and we are all lining up to shoot the bullseye. The problem is you don't see a target, and so in your head you pick the bullseye that you're shooting at. And then when it comes time to pick a winner, all of you are making your case that your arrow hit exactly... Our sound guy's also gone this weekend. Perfect. Is that... Is my mic off now? It's my mic? I know. So part of this series that we've been doing, we are going to put this on our website so people that are interested in our church can just listen to these five messages and find out what makes us. And so last week I was like, okay, so make sure we get this recorded. All of our usual sound guys were out of town. Um, So I was like, we just got to make sure we get all these recorded. And then, of course, this happens. Are we good? Just go? Is it recording at all? All right, we'll edit all that out. So we all shoot for these bullseyes, and now I said, okay, who's the closest to their bullseye? And all of you raise your hands. I was like, well, what was your bullseye? And 
A matter of fact, all of you decided that wherever your arrow hit, that was your bullseye. And you all did it. We all hit our bullseyes. And unfortunately, that is how a lot of us as individuals or as churches uh, see discipleship. We haven't listed what the bullseye is. We haven't listed what the target is. Um, but it's something that we are told to go out and do. And so tonight what my goal is is that we actually can narrow this down, that we have a target, that we have a bullseye, that we know what it looks, that what it looks like. And about four or five weeks ago we talked about discipleship. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about what makes a disciple. What makes a disciple? And as we've talked through this series that we've called Back to Basics, we've said that uh, it starts with the movement of God, that God is always on the move and he is always inviting us in to be part of his plan, to be part of this movement, that we join him in what he is already doing. Uh, and what he is doing is he is building his kingdom. Uh, we get to be a part of building God's kingdom, that as we do our role in our individual lives and what God has called us to do as, as uh, spouses, as parents, as neighbors, as co-workers, as wherever it is that God has sovereignly placed us, that we as individuals get to live this out. And then we come together in a group like this in a local church setting, and we get to be an active part of the body of Christ here among a community of people, which plays a part in the bigger picture of the universal church uh, as we all join around the world, as we all work together, and that is the strategy that God has set to build His kingdom. Uh, last week we talked about the harvest and how now part of what we are doing is we are missionary disciples, that we are missionaries wherever we live, learn, work, and play, and that we are to continually be pointing people to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so today I want to talk about, so what makes a disciple? The quote from Neil McGlowan is, God accomplishes his mission in the world through the transformed lives of his people, driven by clear biblical truths and missionary behaviors. God accomplishes his mission in the world throughout the transformed lives of his people, driven by clear biblical truths and missionary behaviors. Remember, in order to reach your target, you have to know what the bullseye is. And now we will jump into Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. The entire Bible is kind of explaining what a disciple is, but I love uh, how Paul explains it in these first two verses of chapter 12. And the rest of chapter 12, I encourage you to read it because it is, again, another passage on this is how you live to represent Christ. But he starts off in verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will." Love it. I urge you that there is a necessity to this. Brothers and sisters, meaning my fellow followers of Christ, in view of God's mercy, when we compare all that God has done, as, as Ryan was praying, that thank you for letting us sinners get together tonight and worship you. 
in view of God's mercy that he has offered to us, us sinners, who never deserved a relationship with God, that it was only done because of how much he loved us that he sent his son for us. In view of all of God's mercy that he shows us every day. Psalm 103, David says, Lord, thank you so much for not treating me as my sins deserve. Thank you so much for the mercy and the forgiveness you show me every day. In view of all of that, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, meaning set apart for a special purpose, and pleasing to God. That these sacrifices that would be brought to the altar in the temple, they would be pleasing to God. That was the prayer, that God would accept them. So Lord, help me be uh, set apart solely for an individual purpose, your purpose for me, and I pray that it is pleasing to you. And I love this is your true and proper worship. In today's English, it's common sense. It's common sense that in view of all that God has done for us, this is our response, that we give him everything. And then what we talked about last week, do not conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't let the world around you, that conforming is what the artist does with a piece of clay. He conforms it into what he wants. And he's saying, don't let the world make you into what the world wants you to be, but rather be transformed. The transformation starts on the inside. Uh, as the song that Ryan just sang, Lord, let us feel your presence more. Let it transform us more. Let it start from the inside so that as it goes out, it starts to change the world around me. I'm not conforming to the world, but the transformation that you're doing in me changes the world around me. And so our definition of a disciple is simple, and I don't have it in the notes, someone who is being transformed daily, someone whose life is demonstrating being transformed into God's image. That this is a recognition. So uh, what is a disciple of Jesus Christ? Number one, a disciple is, the first word I want you to put down, this will all make sense at the end, I promise, is be. Who are we to be? Who is a disciple of Jesus Christ? Talked about this last week and going through 2 Corinthians, the first five chapters, which is why we went a little long last week. I couldn't help it. Disciples are reconciled. Who are we to be? We are reconciled to Christ. We have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. A disciple is someone who has made Jesus the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life. We are a new creation. As we say, your past no longer defines you, God does. And God, when he sees you, if you have made him the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, when he sees you, he sees his own son's precious perfect blood, and he sees you as a righteous being. That alone should cause us to scream amen as loud as we possibly can. Was that really as loud as you possibly can? Because that was very disappointing. <laughs> Understanding that mercy that God has demonstrated to us should cause us to run after him. Uh, about five years ago, our staff team and leadership team came up with uh, the values of Hope Church, and we have never shared them. Here's why. Again, working with churches, one of my biggest annoyances is when I sit and I'm visiting a church, and they tell me what their values are, and I say, mm -mm. <laughs> you might think those are your values. That is not what you're communicating your values are. And so for the last five years, we have been wanting to make sure that these values are being lived out before we start saying this is a value of ours. But the first value that we have is this blank that you're going to fill in, and that is the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. The good news that Jesus Christ defeated sin and death changes 
everything, every part of our life, every aspect of our life should be continually being transformed because of the gospel continually working in us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a one-time thing where we ask him to forgive our sins and then boom, we're set and that's all we needed to do. The gospel should continually be working in us every single day. It is a constant transformation process in our lives, but I promise it will end right when you die. So for the rest of your life, whatever your years are, this is the process that will be going on, is us running after God, chasing after Him, spending time in His Word, in prayer, in meditation, in communion with other believers, things being pointed out to us, whether it's through the Spirit of God or very close friends or just people screaming at you, what your problems are and the things that need to be transformed in your life. And this process is what we get to go through for God's glory the rest of our life. Why? Because the gospel changes everything. Every aspect of our life should be being touched by the gospel every day. So what are the core attitudes and truths? If we are being a disciple, what are these core attitudes? And there are many. In fact, the entire Bible is basically telling us how to live, especially the New Testament. But if I could narrow it down, and I don't know if this is in your notes or not, so write these two passages down. The beginning of Matthew 5. In fact, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, is basically, when we went through this, we call this kingdom living. If you follow Christ, then Christ should be working in you, and these are now how you then live, is these attributes. But especially the beginning part of chapter 5, I think it's the first 12 verses, are called the Beatitudes. And these are the attributes that we should be displaying. And I love when it says, blessed are the, that blessed means you are now partaker of God's characteristics. So blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble. When we are acting out those things, that word blessed is we are now partakers of a characteristic of God. So that is now how we live. Another great test is to take Galatians chapter 5. And at the beginning of Galatians chapter 5, he says, if you're walking in the flesh, you do this. And if you're walking in the spirit, this is what follows. And then you can take how you are going through your attitude. Uh, you can take your actions of that day and say, was I walking in the flesh or was I walking in the spirit? It is so much fun to do this, by the way. And you can find out how am I being transformed? What aspect of my life, what needs the gospel to come in and continually transform me? Not because of it's I can do, but because of God's power working through me. One of the greatest verses of hope that we went over last week in 2 Corinthians 4 is, in our weakness, he demonstrates his power. That it's not on us, but it's us allowing the Spirit of God to work in us. So that is what should be being displayed. That is how we are being a disciple of Jesus Christ. The second word you're going to write down is do. Do. What does a disciple of Jesus do? This is something that we started saying, I believe, two weeks ago. Every disciple is a missionary. Every disciple is is a missionary. If you have made Jesus the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, as we said last week in 2 Corinthians 5, you are now called to, you are now a minister of the gospel, and you are a called ambassador of Jesus. You are now representing Jesus. As we have been reconciled back to him, and as God is reconciling all things back to himself, we now get to play this role in this, in this life that we get to point people to Jesus. Oftentimes we think of a missionary as somebody that uh, we send to another country far away uh, to go tell other people about Jesus, and we just sit back and let the missionaries go do the work. And that is such a shame. 
All of us are called missionaries. All of us have been called to be a minister of the gospel. All of us are called to be this ambassador, this representative of Jesus Christ, wherever we live, learn, work, and play. Second attribute or second value that we have at Hope Church, something that we hope to see played out, is this next blank. Worship is a way of life. Worship is a way of life. Everything in our life should change and be transformed by the gospel, like we were talking about. So how do we live out is we let people see us for who we really are. And that's very scary. But if we are being honest with ourselves, and it's very, very hard for the self-righteous like myself, uh, it is very hard for people who want to come across as perfect and they have everything together to do this. But this is how we allow the world to see uh, that God is working in our lives. When we are open and honest with people about what God is doing in our lives or the areas of weakness that we see in our lives, or we let other people speak into the areas of our lives that they see weakness in, all of these aspects of our life start to change. And if worship, understand that word worship is actually can be switched in and out with the word serve. So a lot of times we think worship is what we do on Saturday night, at least when the guy has the guitar. And then worship ends when the guy with the guitar sits down and then we hear preaching. But every aspect of our life should be service to God. Worship or service is a way of life. And as we serve him, as we take every individual compartment of our lives and turn it over to God, he is continually changing that and the outside world is watching. Worship is a way of life. And the third thing of doing, of the word do, or what a disciple of Jesus does, is a disciple bears fruit. A disciple bears fruit. Uh, I use John 15, but there's so many passages. This illustration of bearing fruit is used throughout the entire Bible. I, I love in Psalm 1, where it talks about the, the person that follows after God, the person who meditates on his word, is like a tree planted by a stream, and this picture of the roots being firmly fed by Jesus would later say, I am the living water, and these roots are being fed continuously by the living water that is Jesus, and it says, and that tree bears fruit in season. Uh, when we are plugged into God, when we are plugged into Jesus and we are allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, we will bear fruit. John 15, uh, he's teaching his disciples and it's meant for us as well. And he's saying, uh, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you're plugged into the vine correctly, you will bear fruit. If you are not bearing fruit in your life, if you are not doing what I've called you to do, it says those branches are cut off and thrown into the fire. They're useless and they aren't actually attached. They're not functioning properly. And so being a fruit inspector, going back to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, we can find out where we are at. Are we bearing fruit? Are we seeing uh, fruitful lives as we bear fruit uh, of, of God? That is a demonstration of somebody that is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, as we are abiding in him, he abides in us, and we will bear fruit. That third word, that third blank is the word see. See. How does a disciple show Jesus? Remember 2 Corinthians 5, God is reconciling all things back to himself. He is inviting us to join him on his mission of pointing people to him. And if we believe that God is always on the move and that he is reconciling all things to himself, how do we demonstrate being the salt and the light in our community, 
In Matthew chapter 5, he says the, the church is the salt and the light. And I've heard many messages on this passage, and I've heard different people say, and when God says salt, or when Jesus says salt, he means it's this. Uh, and some people say, well, what I think he really means is that salt is, I think it's all those things. I think it's all the things that salt was used for to preserve, to add flavor, to enhance flavor, to all the different things that salt was used for. I think that's what Jesus says. That's what we are as the church. That's what we are to live out. We are also to be the light of the world, like we talked about last week, that this light that overcomes darkness. Light provides safety. Light allows you to see things. Light allows you not to uh, smash your legs up in the dark. And so we are called to be the salt and the light, that we are called because with Jesus there is eternal preservation in him, that with Jesus there is a hope and a life that so often can seem hopeless. It enhances the flavor of life, and I can go on and on, but are we living in such a way, are we living these things out so that people see it? Not so that we get recognition of the things that we're doing, but that people can say, wow, that's Rob, and Rob's a terrible person. And so when he does something nice and loving, that can't be Rob. Uh, true story, I actually had someone at one of the colleges I worked at, uh, she was on staff as well, and she looked at me and she goes, I can't tell if you're a really mean, nice person or a really nice, mean person, but I know you're one of them. <laughs> That's always been one of my favorite things I've been described as, I don't know why. She didn't mean it as a compliment, by the way. <laughs> but are we living in such a way that when people see the attributes of God, they know that there must be something more powerful. Are we living in such a way um, that when people see us in our everyday lives that they say, there must be a God, and there must be a God that loves me? Now, of all the things that God has given us in order to demonstrate this, um, there are four things. I'm just going to narrow these down. Uh, God has given his followers gifts, talents, abilities, and experiences. Now, there's many other things here, but I want to just kind of focus in on these four, and I, I view all four of these as different. We're not getting into a long conversation about uh, spiritual gifts tonight, but spiritual gifts are something that I, I personally believe, and it's fine if you don't. I believe spiritual gifts are something, and there's different lists in the Bible of spiritual gifts. I think it's something that God gives you uh, after you come to know Him, uh, and so I've gotten in several arguments because I've worked at Bible colleges, uh, when people say, well, my spiritual gift is singing. And I would say, is that a spiritual gift or is that a talent? So if it's a spiritual gift, I'll believe you if you were horrible at singing. Like before you came to know Christ, like you were just awful. People would cry not in the good way when you sang. And then you came to know Christ and all of a sudden you have like the voice of an angel. That's a spiritual gift. Other than that, it's just a talent. Uh, I believe that spiritual gifting is something that God gives those people that start to follow him that they probably didn't have demonstrated. I had uh, a really good friend who was a pastor, uh, and he would always say he was a phenomenal pastor, an incredible leader, um, and all the, he goes, any job I had not being a pastor, I was never promoted. Uh, I was never in a leadership position, and I was terrible at it when I was given it. And then all of a sudden when he's operating in a church situation, he's this phenomenal leader that would teach at conferences about leadership. So he goes, I feel like leadership is a spiritual gift because apart from God, I can't do it. It's never been something that I've been able to do. So spiritual gifts, if you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, this is something that this coming year we want to start developing and helping people find out. And a lot of it is just trial and error. Uh, you go up and you, you try to do something and it turns out uh, you don't enjoy doing that. 
I love um, Joe Oglesby. If you don't know Joe, it's John Reed and Jace's dad. Um, but he calls uh, cooking his spiritual gift. And he goes, Rob, I have so much joy in making food for people serving. And he would come out and he would make um, dinner for all of the volunteers at the grocery giveaway. And he goes, I just have so much joy. Like, I just have so much joy in feeding volunteers at these events. That's, I just find it the happiest thing. And everybody who ate his food also felt joy because that guy can cook. Um, and so we all, we go out and we try doing different things, but I also believe when you're living out your spiritual gifts, you have an unbelievable joy that you find in doing these things because it's something that God has entrusted to you for you to do for his glory. Uh, the second thing on this list is talents. This is just something that you're good at. Uh, that these God-given talents that you just have. It's something that co- almost comes naturally. You do it. You enjoy doing it, but you've always been able to do it. It doesn't matter if it's a church setting or not. It doesn't matter if it's a spiritual setting. It's just something that you just do well and that you enjoy doing it. This is where I differentiate, and this is just me, in abilities. Abilities aren't always something you enjoy doing. So what I use as an example for me personally is drywall. I hate doing drywall. I'm actually pretty good at it. Michael can vouch for me. I'm pretty good at it, but I hate it. But I can do it to help other people. And I can find joy in it if I'm serving, saying this is for God. And a lot of times when I'm helping people out, please don't ask me after church, by the way. I'm, very, I'm actually just too busy, and I am doing one of these right now for somebody at another church. Um, I have joy if I do it for free in it. You can't pay me enough to do drywall for you. But if I'm doing it as a helpful thing to help you out, I enjoy doing it. I have the ability to do it. Um, I, don't in, I don't necessarily enjoy doing it. It's not like I can't, I'm like, you know what I'm going to do tonight? It's still pretty early. I'm just going to go drywall stuff. Like, I can't wait just to go out and drywall stuff. So all of us have that thing in our life that we have the ability to do it. And when we hear about somebody needing help, our first thought is, please, somebody else volunteer to do this. But those abilities we need to hand over to God and say, I will do them even though, and I will find joy because I'm doing this for the Lord. The fourth thing on this list, experiences. Uh, All of us have life experiences that are very different from everybody else sitting in this room's life experiences. We have awesome experiences. We have experiences that we wish we could replicate over and over again because they were such great experiences. Uh, We have things that we have enjoyed doing. We have uh, times in our lives that just went really well. But all of us also have bad experiences. Uh, We have bad experiences that we never want to go through again. Uh, There you have experiences that um, we know that nobody can look at us if they found out about this experience and understand what it was like to go through it. All of us have experiences of things that we've done in our life that we wish we didn't do, that caused somebody else pain, uh, experiences that we just wish nobody would else have to go through, and sometimes it was our choice that, that caused this bad experience. Other times we've gone through experiences because somebody else made a bad choice. Uh, we go through experiences that were extremely hurtful, that were done to us, that we had no control over, and, and we still, even though it's uh, what I would call a false guilt, that we still wrestle through these experiences. 
Uh, some of us have experience in things with uh, addiction. We have experiences in things with depression and experiences in things with anxiety and things that we can kind of act like nobody else knows that it's going on in our life and we don't want other people to know what's going on in our life. But out of those, all of those experiences, good or bad, things we've done or things that were done to us, God can use all of them for his glory. God wants to take and, and use these things that he and his sovereignty, for one reason or another, he let happen to you, he lets you do. He has used all of these. And I love the story of Joseph in the Bible. Uh, so many of the things that were, they were done to Joseph. Joseph didn't want to be his brothers to gather around and actually lose a vote on being killed amongst his brothers, and, but they just happened to listen to the one that said, no, 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 guys, killing him is wrong will pretend he died and sell him into slavery. And I was like, okay, that's a, that's a fair deal. He had no choice in this matter. Uh, he was sold into slavery, and we can go on and on. But I love this picture of God in this story because it said what Satan meant for evil, what was meant for evil by other human beings, God meant it for good. God is redeeming all things back to himself. He is redeeming all experiences. I love the saying that only God can take a broken stick and make it whole again. Only God can take a curved road and make it straight. Only God and his power can take the things in our lives that don't make sense and we can trust fully in him knowing that for some reason God allowed it to happen. But when we a lot of times keep these things inside and aren't willing to share them with other people, we are surrounded by people who are struggling with the same thing. So we're in our community group settings, and the opportunity to disciple people, even one-on-one, is this opportunity to share life experiences and helping all things being redeemed back to Him. And when these areas of our life start to become freedoms that we never thought we would feel free from, people take notice. People see it. And I believe that is why God has given His followers all of these things. So that we, as we live our life, the power of God can be demonstrated through all of them. And when people look at us, they can see the power of God in our lives. They can see that the gospel changes everything. So I told you all three of these words, be, do, and see, would make sense at the end. And here's why. A disciple will be and do, and others will see. It's the simplest way to put it. A disciple will be and do, and others will see. Understand that movements, that God's movement that we talked about the first week, movements are fueled by the individual transformed person, mobilized on mission where they live, learn, work, and play. When we get to partner with God in what he's already doing, that, that movement that we talked about, movements to see our area, to see Somerville, to see our neighborhoods, if we want to see them turn for Christ, that movement will be fueled by the individual, you and myself, being transformed continually, being mobilized, being sent out on mission wherever we live, learn, work, and play, where God has placed us in his sovereignty. And so, for the application, what role do we want Hope Church to play in this moving forward? If we're saying that we have put such a high value on discipleship, that what we want to do is make missionary disciples who make missionary disciples. One of my favorite sayings is, you're not a disciple maker until you've made a disciple who makes a disciple. 
I've known a lot of disciplers who are very good at making one-tier disciples. In fact, a lot of them go too far, and they just make people dependent on them, and they never continue the process. And so when I first heard someone say, a disciple-maker isn't a disciple-maker until they've made a disciple who makes a disciple, meaning that at some point you are now handed off as the person that's going to make a disciple, that's when the disciple has done it when he has replicated it. Uh, We said at the beginning, our goal isn't to add more people into Hope Church. Our goal is to multiply missionary disciples, multiply churches, and multiply leaders. Create more. Continually be sending out other church plant teams, other teams to help restart other churches, whatever it is. Uh, Our biggest missionaries that we send out are people who come to know Christ at Hope Church while they're in the military. And then the military pays those missionaries to go somewhere else and to continue to represent Christ, represent a transformed life. And I'm actually really excited because two of the missionaries we've sent out, they've both told me that they, these two separate families are moving back to the area next year. I'm very excited for them to be back. Um, some of the first people that actually came to know Christ at Hope Church. So very, very, I'm not going to say their names because then their orders will get shifted again. That's how it normally happens. But when we make disciples who make disciples, that's the discipleship process. It's, it's multiplication, not addition. Um, so movements are fueled by the individual transformed persons mobilized on mission where they live, learn, work, and play. So how do we go about doing this? Well, the first way, congratulations, all of you have already taken part of it. Saturday night service. You've done it. You're here. The next part about it is the question, and these are questions for your community groups, questions to ask. Are you on a serve team for Saturday nights? Now, uh, we don't make this a requirement. We understand it's Saturday night. People have crazy schedules, um, very hit and miss. Uh, I tell tell guests all the time, you really have to come three weeks in a row in order to meet everybody, because we get about a third of our church here every Saturday night. We know the nature of Saturday night is you're competing with birthday parties, traveling, and college football, apparently. Um, It's not apparently, I know. Uh, a lot of times guys will be in the back and after church they'll be like, hey, I just want you to know I was watching the game in the back row. And I felt bad and I was like, I saw the reflection in your glasses the whole time. I was only disappointed I couldn't see the score because you were so far back. Uh, we just, so we understand the nature of Saturday night, but we also understand that one of the ways to find out what your spiritual gifting is is to get involved in some form uh, inside the local church. And Saturday night provides that team. We have um, the guest service team, which includes uh, security and greeters and setup and teardown, and there's multiple ways that we work with people's schedule. We have Hope Kids. My thing with Hope Kids uh, is if you don't enjoy working with kids, don't ask to work in Hope Kids, please. We don't want you if that's not what you enjoy doing. If, there's, uh, if you're like, I like my kids, I don't like other people's kids, but I want to work in Hope Kids, like, no thank you. We are, we are good. If it's one of those abilities where you're good at working with kids, but you're waiting for somebody else to volunteer, you get a chance to serve God. Uh, we also obviously need help on our worship team. Um, poor Ryan, we thought we had a team this week. Didn't work out. Uh, so if you have friends that worship music, sing stuff, great, let us know. Um, but there's multiple opportunities for you to be on a serve team on Saturday night. Secondly, our community groups. Uh, community groups, and the question that follows that, are you actively learning and growing in an accountable community? Uh, this is a community of where people trust each other, where trust is established, and trust takes time. 
Um, I've had people come, they've gone to a community group once or twice, and they're like, boy, it just wasn't the same as my last church. You know, in that group, we really trusted each other. <laughs> you just moved here, and you've only gone twice. Give it a little bit of time. Trust takes, trust takes time. But are you actively learning? Are you in a role where we are asking questions with each other? Uh, community groups just gives the opportunity for you to be with a group of people uh, and to have a continued conversation on what we're hearing Saturday night uh, so that when we leave here, it doesn't just end but rather the conversation continues on. Um, and so that's the question to ask. Are you actively learning and growing in an accountable community? A question to ask yourself if you're not in a community group. If you'd like to be in a community group, we also say, try one out. If you don't like it, try a different one. No one's offended. Uh, same thing with our serve teams. If you try serving in an area and you hate it, don't quit the church. Just we'll find another area for you to try. It's okay. Uh, and then the third thing, which has always been a goal of Hope Church, and they have just never gotten off the ground, uh, and so we have switched some people around on our staff. Uh, another quick thing about churches, um, there's a passage in the Bible that says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And so when evaluating a church, I always look for where their budget goes. And if they have nine people on staff to make sure they pull off their worship service, then the worship service is what gets the most attention. Uh, so what we've done recently uh, is made a bunch of staff changes and put a huge emphasis on discipleship. So uh, we were able to bring Sarah Lerner on part-time to be announced, but a big part of her role is discipleship and community groups. My wife has shifted positions, and now she's overseeing equip classes and community groups. And I was going to wait till the end, but I'll tell you here, but we were adding a volunteer staff member in January, Mr. Sal Taramina. Um, and we're very excited to have Sal because we realize there aren't um, a lot, there's a lot of dads here who have kids that are high school or lower, um, and we just want somebody that they can meet with uh, who understands what Hope Church is. And so Sal said, I would love to do that. He goes, but I won't, don't want you to pay me anything. And I said, that matches our budget. This is a <laughs> match made in heaven. Um, but to be able to have Sal just start meeting with people and praying with guys or, and just follow up. So we want to put a big emphasis on uh, discipleship in general, but one of this area is our, what we're calling our equip classes that we are hoping to have the first ones roll out in February. And again, we want to match these up with people's schedules. Um, the question that goes along with equip classes are, are you actively learning to grow? Are you actively learning in order to grow? There's one thing if you're learning just for knowledge, there's another thing if you're learning to actually grow. And so some of our first classes that we want to roll out is just if, if prayer is an important aspect that's mentioned all through Scripture and we're constantly saying, hey, we need to be actively praying, we want to do an equip class just on how to pray. Uh, how do you actually engage in prayer? And so we've uh, picked out a couple books that we're going to have people read and then discuss and just try different systems that work best for you in this area of prayer. Uh, we also say you need to tell people about Jesus, but uh, we don't actually walk you through what does that look like if you've never talked about, had these gospel conversations. So we're going to have an equip class that's just walking you through. How do you share the gospel with people? What do those conversations look like? Uh, we're going to do a class just on some very basic doctrines of the faith. Uh, maybe you've come to church for a while, but you've never really, words are mentioned and you are too scared to ask what that means. We want to have a class where you can just kind of go through some basic doctrines of the faith. We want to have a class where we just are giving a basic overview of what the Bible is. Uh, why, what do all these books mean? Why are there so many? How are they grouped together? What is the big picture of the Bible? So those are the first four classes that we're hoping to roll out 
this next year. And so uh, what we want to be actively giving people tools to be equipped as we are saying we want you to be missionary disciples. Uh, a lot of times there's this huge gap from here to there. I'm like, hey guys, here's what the Bible says, and go do it. And you're like, well, that was just an intro for me, and I didn't understand half of what you said. And so we see the equip classes in the community groups of continuing that conversation or continuing to equip the saints for every good work. And I want to close with this quote from Leslie Newbigin. It says, The primary action of the church in the world is the action of its members in their daily work. Believers participate in Christ's priesthood, not within the walls of the church, but in the daily business of the world. It's easy to act like a disciple when we gather here together on Saturday night. But are you living like a disciple when you go out? Because that's really where the gospel is being spread. Uh, that's really where you become a missionary, is where you live, learn, work, and play, in your home first, in your communities, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, in your schools, in your children's schools, in your children's activities, whatever it is. You get to be a missionary in each and every one of those, and that's where the church actually becomes the church. That's where the church lives out its purpose. That's where the church joins God on his movement is what you as individuals do every single day. Letting every area, every aspect of your life being transformed so that other people can see God. A disciple will be and do and others will see. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come to you and be able to make our requests be made known unto you. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to, to join together, Lord, as I love how Ryan said that, as, as sinners, being joined together in unity only because of what you have done for us, that we have this unity that can only be found in you. Lord, I thank you that you loved us so much you sent your son to suffer and die for us in our place, that he defeated death, that he defeated sin, and Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who has never made Jesus the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life, that you'd be working in their heart even tonight. That they would come and talk to me, come and talk to one of us that they've seen on stage or one of the ushers. Lord, ask the questions that maybe they've been too scared to ask. Lord, I pray for the rest of us here at Hope Church, those that, that do know you. Lord, I pray that you continue to work in our lives. Lord, that uh, I love the song we sang earlier, Lord, that we would learn to stop it said in Psalm 46.10 that we would stop, that there would be peace, that we would be still, and that we would know that you are God, that we would feel your presence, that we would listen to your presence, that we would allow the transformative work that only you can do to work in our life. Lord, not for our glory, but for your glory as we point people to you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.